my name is Corey, and I get the honor and privilege of being lead pastor here at Grace Family. And welcome to summer. Who's ready for summer? Ready? I'm, I'm ready. Thank goodness we got back. Like, what was this craziness of like, it's like 85 degrees one weekend, then it's 45 degrees one weekend. Now it's back up to 85. So I'm really hoping it's staying there. So it's great to be with you. It's great to just connect over the course of the summer. And we're actually kicking off our new summer sermon series today. And it's going to last us most of the summer. It's going to take us to the beginning of August. And our summer sermon series is called Confronting Christianity. And so just off the bat, I want to let you know, this is not something that we came up with by ourselves. In fact, there's a book that came out in 2019 called Confronting Christianity. And so the the bottom line is uh, 12 hard questions for the world's largest religion. And so what we're going to do each week, we're not going to do it in 12 weeks, we're going to do it in nine. We're going to skip one and combine a couple weeks. But we're going to ask some of the most difficult questions you can ask about Christianity. They might be questions that you've asked yourself. They might be questions that you've had somebody that is not a believer ask you. They could be just things you thought about or doubted or, or processed. And so we're going to lean into some of those difficult questions. And one of the cool things that's going to happen too is Pastor Andrew is going to go through some of these with the youth group as well. And so they're going to start in a couple weeks and start to go through some of the same questions, some different questions. So if you're a parent of a teenager, we're giving you the head start. Okay, so we're not giving teens these really heavy questions and sending them home to you and then saying, here, what do you do with this? Right. We're going to talk about it and then we're going to allow our teens to engage with some of the topics and then you get to lean into that with them. And so I want to start off with with a simple question as we walk into the summer and kind of think about this. And that question is, is challenging our faith bad? Is it bad for us to question our faith? Some of us, if you're like me, you uh, just grew up in church. I was having a conversation with somebody this morning. Grew up in church. I don't remember a time where I didn't go to church, or I I wasn't at least forced to go to church by my parents. And so it's just the reality. And so if you've grown up in that framework, you may not question as many things as if you didn't. If you didn't grow up in a Christian household, you may question things more. Maybe you questioned questioned things as you became a believer. But I would say that it's never bad to question our, our, our religion, our faith. It's never bad to, when you have a doubt or you have a question, lean into that. The worst thing I think we can do is take those questions we have that are real questions that we need answers to, or we at least need to kind of chase down and see if there's an answer to, and just kind of hide them and put them away. There's been times, I would say, where I didn't feel comfortable or didn't feel like I was supposed to ask questions. Right? There was this giant flood, and, and all the animals get on a boat together, yet there's no dinosaurs. What happened to the dinosaurs, right? That's, those are the things that went through my head at seven, trying to figure that out. Well, what's the answer? I don't, I don't know. But was I allowed to ask the question? I should be. You should be. And, and as we get older, there are more difficult questions to ask. And so we're going to lean into some of those things. If you're, if you're following us on social media, we actually posted this week what all of the weeks are going to be. So if you're curious, you can come ask me. But if you're on social media, go to Facebook or Instagram, you can see each of the weeks we're going to cover and what question we're going to cover which week. So the question for this week is this. Are we better off without religion? Are we better off without religion? Now, this question is based on all religions. okay? But when we talk about this from a perspective in our own country, usually this focuses in on Christianity. Because Christianity has been the religion that's been more at the center of our country, kind of from the beginning. Some of our founding fathers 
had connections to Christianity, not all of them, but some of them. And so we are one nation under God, right? We've always kind of had that idea of at least some connection to the Christian God. And so when we ask this question in our country, are we better off without religion? A lot of times the religion that comes under fire is Christianity. It's very easy to drive down the street, especially in this area. There's churches everywhere, right? And you ask the question, what good are we doing? And other people that are outside of Christianity would ask the same thing. What good are you doing? Why are you here? And really, ultimately, what happens if you are a Christian or if you're a part of Christianity is that Christianity can cause division. If you would put the label of Christian or Christ follower on yourself or you know somebody that puts it on them, you automatically would assume maybe they, they or you believe some things. You would probably have a certain view of Scripture that would be maybe consistent with Christianity. You would have a certain view of what marriage is that would be consistent with Christianity. You would have a certain view on gender and how that is consistent with Christianity. But the difference is sometimes our views on those things go in opposition to our society. And so automatically, sometimes if you say you're a Christian or especially for those of us who are in ministry, we say we're a pastor, all of a sudden, people label you. You become a person that has a view that goes against society or a view that is this way or you're a part of a certain political party. And all of a sudden, when that becomes a thought process, whether it's a reality or not, there is division that's caused. And we know in reality, in truth, there's going to be division. There's going to be differences between what Scripture teaches And what the world believes. But how do we approach that? How do we engage in that tension? And that's what today is about. And that's what this sermon series is actually going to be about as well. We're going to start our conversation um, in Luke chapter 11. So if you want to go there, you can open your physical Bible. You can turn on your phone. If you want to, you can go to our website. We have a follow along link where all of the notes and all of the verses will be right there for you. So if you're watching here, you're watching online wherever you might be, you can follow along there. And here's the cool thing about our follow-along, and I want to make sure I remind us of this um, each week, because these topics we're talking about are going to maybe draw more questions. You might hear me say something, or when Pastor Andrew preaches, you might hear him say something, and you might say, that's causing more questions for me. What do I do with that? There's actually a bottom, at the bottom of the follow-along page, there's actually a spot to ask a question, and that question will go directly to us. Now, follow along only exists on Sunday mornings. It'll disappear around 2 o'clock. But if you ever want to, if you're like on Monday, you're thinking about it, and you go, oh, I want to ask a question, just email us. We welcome those questions. We want to engage with you on how we approach these topics and how we look at them from a biblical perspective. So in Luke chapter 11, the verses will be up on the screen for you. Um, Luke, sorry, chapter 11, verse 37 says this. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. Now I want to stop there for a minute. So I just want to make sure we all kind of gather what's happening. It's a minor point to realize, but I think it's very important. Whenever the Pharisees step into a conversation with Jesus, it's likely that they are trying to trip him up. It's likely that they're trying to show his faults to the other people around him. And so Jesus gets invited to dinner by somebody he knows is probably going to take some digs at him and try and trick him and try and make him look like a fool. Yet he still goes to dinner. I find that interesting. I find it interesting that even though someone, I mean, they were kind of opposite sides of the spectrum, opposite sides of viewpoints, opposite sides of religion, 
at times, he was still willing to go and have dinner. I'm just going to leave that there. You can process that how you want, but it's interesting to me that he was willing to do that. In verse 38, it says this, his host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Verse 39, then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. All right, let's pause again and process what just happened. So Jesus sits down at dinner, purposefully does not wash his hands. Okay? Now that sounds weird, especially in COVID era, right? But he just didn't do it. Why did he not do it? Because he wanted to start a conversation. And as soon as the Pharisees walk through this door, he's ready for them. Very interesting. Um, how many of you in the room would say that you are rule followers? You enjoy knowing the rules and you tend to follow them. Okay, most people are too afraid to put up their hand. Okay, cool, that's good. I would say that I myself am also a rule follower, but I will say this. Sometimes I want to know the rules so that I know how to make them work for me. Okay, so if I figure out the way to kind of make this work, I'm going to then leverage that because I know what the rules are. Okay, I also have a problem with rules that I think are silly and I don't see a reason behind. Okay, so this was when I was younger. I did this. I'm not saying I should have done this. I'm just saying it's a reality. As you get to know me, uh, you will realize that I enjoy wearing hats. My wife will tell you I have way too many of them. Okay. And as a kid, even, I, I just enjoy it. There's pictures of me as just, you know, anytime I could have a hat on, I just usually did. Growing up, I told you I grew up in church. One of the things that then became something that was a conversation in the church that I went to, which was fairly uh, conservative, it was a Baptist church, and there were some rules there that I didn't always think were uh, necessarily necessary. We'll just say that. And I remember vividly, uh, even my mom telling me when I was a kid and I was getting dressed for church, I... I was not allowed to wear jeans to church. Sorry, Mom, right? Like, now I preach in them. So that's just the way things went. We, we weren't allowed to do those things. And so one of the things that would come up for me was I would walk into the building with a hat on, not just into the sanctuary, but just like set foot in the doors. And I kind of, th I think I was being like Jesus. I just wait for somebody to come over and tell me it was wrong. And I would kind of say, well, why is it wrong? And eventually... I don't really think I was being like Jesus. I was just being a punk. But eventually what I would do is I would read scripture to find what the rules were. And I would walk into church and somebody would come up to me and they'd say, you should take your hat off indoors. And I would say, is it in the Bible? And I would get in trouble. Okay. Because they would go talk to my mom and dad and my mom and dad would say, just be respectful to the people that tell you what to do. And so it would just, but that's one of the things that, that gets to me. And I think a little bit of that is what got to Jesus. He said, this rule that you want to follow, this rule, you're, so, you're worried about washing your hands. And, and what does he say? I'll just read 39 again. He says to them, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. You're so ready to do what you need to do on the outside to look good, but you don't address what's going on inside. Just like if you washed, like you did dishes at your house and you just washed the outside. You don't wash where the food was. That's the point, is to get the food off. He says, don't leave that there. Let's keep going. Verses 40 and 41, he says, fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor. 
and you will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are, are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. And then someone else decides to like raise their hand in the meeting and says, Teacher, said the expert in religious law, you have insulted us too in what you just said. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, right, I forgot to talk about you guys. Yes, Jesus said, what sorrow awaits you, experts in religious law, for you crush people with unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. Jesus was ready for this conversation, wasn't he? I love that. Somebody's like, hey, you're making, you're making fun of me too. He's like, yeah, right, I forgot to talk about you. This is, let's talk about what you do. And he just lays into them. Here's what I want us to understand today. Jesus hated oppressive, hypocritical religion. He leans into them because he says, you, you're so willing to follow the rules. What does he say? He talks about tithing. He said, you will tithe on your herb garden. Okay? Don't feel like you need to tithe on your herb garden here. Okay? But he tithes on, he says, you tithe on your, but you don't worry about what's so important. You don't worry about the inside. You don't worry about what's going on in your heart. What, can I say that I think when the world asks the question, are, is it better for us to be without religion? I think it's because they know this. I think it's because they see empty rules that are followed, and yet there's no difference in people's hearts. They don't see the good that comes from it. In fact, I think that Jesus said this, right? Jesus said that they will know we are Christians by our love, and yet we are tempted to oppress lifestyles and ideas that disagree with us. It's a temptation Christians deal with. I don't know if you've noticed this, and I hope this isn't too touchy of a topic, but if you've noticed that, again, we talked about summer, the month is June, and so maybe you notice some things starting to happen on social media where logos of stores and things like that start to change into rainbows to show for Pride Month and to support the LGBTQ community. And I've seen various reactions to that online and, and how we feel about that as Christians or people that are non-Christians, how they feel about Christians or people that are somewhere like they're Christians, but they don't like what other Christians have to say. It's all, it's all over the place. But it's tempting as Christians at times to push down or oppress or be frustrated with or post about op opposing ideas than what we have. You know, it was, it was five years ago uh, this coming week that somebody walked into a nightclub in Orlando and killed 49 people in a gay nightclub. I hope that that breaks our heart just as much as when someone walks into a church and opens fire. But sometimes, and I get that this isn't everybody, sometimes in the news, what's talked about are the people that hold signs, that protest, and that tell people they're going to hell just by holding a sign. That's, that's what Jesus didn't like. That's what Jesus would have taught against. Because he says we will know we're, they will know we're Christians by our love. And so the love has to be the first step. Jesus also said to serve others. And yet some religious leaders abuse their power for sex and money. 
And sometimes, the, the times when this hits the news is when it's a megachurch. Now, nothing wrong with megachurches. In fact, there are multiple churches in our fellowship of churches who have multiple campuses and thousands of people. They would easily fit the criteria of megachurch. But when someone who's a leader in a megachurch falls, we find out they were embezzling money, we find out they were having an affair, they've used their power and their influence to take advantage of it and leverage it for themselves, and it goes on the news or whatever happens, it's shared on social media, the world looks at that and says, see, you're just using religion for power. You're using religion for influence. You're taking advantage of it and doing something that we don't believe Jesus would do. Can I say this? When Christianity reflects something other than Jesus, the world notices. When Christianity reflects something other than Jesus, the world notices. Our, our culture is smart enough to open a Bible. Many, of, many people, even if they're not Christians, have at least looked at Scripture. And they've read what Jesus' words are. And they look at what he taught and what he was for and what he was against. And so when we show up as the church or as someone at work or someone in the classroom or a neighbor down the street and we don't look like Jesus, what happens is the world notices, they call us out, and they say, we think we'd be better off without you because the person you're representing doesn't look a lot like the Jesus you claim. And so, you know what? I get it at times. I hate when I open a news story and I go, man, that's a label that's put on me now as a Christian. And I get why there are times when people would ask, are we better off without religion? You know, in the Luke 11 passage, Jesus talks about what we shouldn't be, what he doesn't like about religion. And then if we go, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 25. We get a little bit more insight into what we should look like. And living as followers of Jesus, what we should do. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to start in verse 31. says this, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So what's the list he gives, right? Hungry, thirsty, homeless, naked, sick, in prison. Notice that there are no qualifiers other than that. The qualifier is with someone in need. And the, the interesting thing is the people that are shown to be righteous, they didn't even realize they were doing it for God. They just said, this is what I was called to do. And so I saw a person in need and I stepped in and I did what I needed to do. I did what I believe Jesus would do in that moment. It doesn't say people that agree with us 
It doesn't say people that hold the same view. It doesn't say people that come to our church. It doesn't say someone who's from the same state. It says people who are in need. What I think is true is that the way we treat the less fortunate and the oppressed is the way we reflect God to the world around us. When we do step in and we show up in these spaces and we show up for a hungry, thirsty, naked, homeless, whatever it might be, we show up in those those places, we show up and we look like Jesus when we meet those needs. Because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to help every single one of us who was in need. And so that's what he calls us to. Now, I've spent a lot of time this morning pointing the finger at us Christians and saying this is why we get seen this way. This is the, These are the things that we do or don't do that the world will see and say, are you worth it? Because what you're doing, I just don't see its worth. So here's the next question. What good can Christianity do? Most of our conversation today hasn't um, come out of this book, but at the end of this chapter in the book, the author talks about um, things that are studied sociologically that are positives for Christianity. And so she gives about seven or eight topics that she would say we not only see as a positive thing in Christianity or in religion sometimes, but that also are positive things for people who aren't religious to have in in their life or as a part of who they are. And so I want to touch on three things that I think are important, three things that Christianity can offer, and then we'll dig into more some more of the study that, that they've done to these topics. But the first thing that I think Christianity has that we can all benefit from is gratitude. Because if we're followers of Jesus, we should have an eternal gratitude to the one who gave everything for me or for us. Think about what it's like when you are grateful for everything you have rather than being frustrated with what you've been handed. One gives a lot more peace than the other. And what Christianity gives us the opportunity to do is recognize that if we understand the gospel before we came to know Jesus, we were headed for an eternity separated from him. And we didn't do anything to deserve what he gave us. And so every day can be marked by and categorized in gratitude because of what he has given us instead of what we don't have. I don't want to say this as a shot at our society, but I think that being grateful all the time is kind of the opposite of what people would want from us. It's the opposite of what marketing departments want, right? What they want to do is show us the things we do want, to show us the way that the things we have uh, are not as good as the new thing or not as positive or it doesn't work as well or now there's a new idea that we want that we didn't even know existed. And so they push on these buttons to make us not grateful. And so where does our mind go? It goes to the next thing that we need or the next project we have to do or the next whatever, and we continue to go. But what about when the project is done and there's nothing else you want and you're just grateful? There's peace there. That's what Christianity offers. We have the opportunity to simply live out of our gratefulness rather than out of our consumerism, which becomes a hamster wheel that we just have to kind of keep running on in order to get somewhere. I think the second thing that Christianity offers that Maybe we can't get somewhere else's forgiveness. 
a willingness to forgive others because I have been forgiven much. Forgiveness would also be something that I think our world doesn't necessarily promote. In fact, at times what I feel that I'm supposed to do, at least told to do, is pick a side and hold that line. And when somebody else comes along that has a different perspective or is on the other side of the line, don't move. Build a wall. Keep pushing them away. Keep them at arm's length. If they've hurt you, hurt them. And there's this constant feeling of I need to define who I am and make sure that they understand that and not let them talk about me and just kind of, it's always this work. It's like every day having to engage in this process. But what Christianity offers is this idea of forgiveness. And because we've been forgiven so much, again, when we understand the gospel, we recognize, I recognize, I'll talk about me, that I sin every day. And yet Jesus is still there to forgive me. And so when Jesus is still there to forgive me every single day, guess what that means? I have to forgive others every single day. It takes a lot more work to hold a grudge than it does to forgive somebody. And so when we put these two things together, we we look at gratitude, we look at forgiveness, there's this sense of peace. I'm thankful for what I have, and I recognize that I've done wrong things, and so I'm going to forgive other people. I'm not going to play the game of just trying to build walls against other people. Now, there are times when space is good, and boundaries are good. But being able to forgive someone because Jesus forgave us is freeing. And so is the idea of gratitude. Here's the last thing that I think Christianity offers is purpose. Because I am loved and I exist for a reason. You know, like I said, I grew up in church. I've always been told from the very first day I was born that Jesus loves me. And so that's the framework that I've always existed in. Jesus loves me. Jesus, I I just know that. You'd have to really do some work to get that out of my head. But here's what I don't identify with and I don't understand. If I did grow up in a setting that didn't tell me that Jesus loved me, that didn't tell me that God had a plan for me, that didn't tell me that there was a creator of the universe who was in control of everything, I think I could ascribe certain purposes to me. I could ascribe my purpose to my work. I could ascribe my purpose to my family. I could ascribe my purpose to even helping people. But what happens when I'm not so good at that? What happens when I fail? What happens when what I can do comes up short? And I can't fulfill my own self-prescribed purpose. It means I don't have purpose anymore. But what I know about my relationship with Jesus is that no matter what I do, can or cannot do, I always have purpose in life because no matter how badly I screw things up, Jesus can always work in that. And so I have purpose. And so if you're if you're listening, if you're here, if you're watching online, you're listening later, and you're you're just processing this idea with us. What I would say is that the opportunity for Christians is to live a life that's full of gratitude, full of forgiveness, and full of purpose. And that sounds pretty amazing to me. That's something that I think is worth pursuing. It's something that I think is worth understanding. And I would encourage you to step into that. Now, there's also could be people who are Christians 
that are in this room or listening, and they would be thinking about the things that they've seen other people do, the things that they've seen the church do, and they're thinking about maybe stepping away from that. I'm going to talk to you in a minute. But here's what I want us to realize, church, is that when someone looks at Christianity and says, we're better off without you, the church is doing it wrong. Why do I say that? Well, first of all, because if we have Jesus, we have something that is incredible to offer to them, that purpose I just talked about, that we can step into and we can say, this is what we believe is true. And we can hand them Jesus. But here's the other side of it. And this is what I wanted to bring up um, from even some sociological studies. And there was an article that I saw come out this week by a pastor named Mark Clark. He's a pastor in Canada, and um, he does a lot. He writes books and and does speaking events, and I've kept up with him for a little while now. And in his article, he was asking this question, what good has Christianity done for the world, or what good can it do for individuals? And he referenced a book in this article called America's Blessing, How Religion Benefits Everyone, by an author named Rodney Stark. And this book was simply based on studying the differences and the positives and negatives when we look at someone who is would consider themselves religious and someone that would consider themselves irreligious. Again, this is totally this is not based on scripture. This isn't even just based on Christianity. This is just based on religion. Here are some of the findings that he came up with. Religious people are the primary source of secular charitable funds that benefit victims of misfortune, whatever their beliefs. So when you look at secular organizations that are trying to meet needs, a large section, if not the biggest section, of their funds are given by people that would call themselves religious. Religious people dominate the ranks of blood donors and other pro-social behaviors. Religious people are much less likely to commit crimes. Religious people are far more likely to donate their money and time to social benef- socially beneficial programs and be active in civic affairs. Religious people enjoy superior mental health. They're deemed happier, less neurotic, and far less likely to commit suicide. Religious people enjoy superior physical health. Get this one. Religious people have an average life expectancy more than seven years longer than that of the irreligious. That's that's incredible. And again, this is just statistics and studies that they've done. Uh, Religious people are more apt to marry, less likely to divorce, and report higher degrees of satisfaction with their spouse. Religious husbands are far less likely to abuse their wives and children. Religious fathers are more likely to be involved in youth-related activities. And religious students perform better on standardized achievement tests, are far less likely to drop out of school, obtain better jobs upon graduation, and are far less likely to be on unemployment. So why, when I say, if someone looks at us and says, we're better off without you, why is the church doing it wrong? Because we not only have Jesus to offer them for their eternal life, but it sounds like we have a lot to offer when it comes to life right here on earth as well. And so when the church can't, or sorry, when the world can't see why the church is relevant, it's because we've done something wrong. Because we have Jesus to offer. Now, the argument, the opposite argument would be, (laughs) they killed Jesus. And he loved them better than anybody. And that's true. But if we get to heaven and we loved people so much that they ended up taking our lives, so be it. We just show up and we care for them. 
Now, for the person that's maybe thinking about walking away from Christianity or from religion or, or has stayed away from it because of what you've seen the church do, here's what I would say to you. Don't hold Jesus accountable for the ways people have let you down. Don't hold Jesus accountable for the ways people have let you down. Now, this is a very simple illustration, but I think I can help us understand this. In football, sometimes the running back gets handed the football, and sometimes the running back fumbles the football. When the running back fumbles the football, you don't immediately fire the head coach. Now he fumbles it enough, maybe you do. But in that moment, you don't blame the head coach because the running back or the wide receiver fumbled the football. You blame that player. Here's what I think. When we look at Christianity or we look at religion or we look at whatever and we say, oh, but the church or but this person did this or this church had this to say or what, and we walk away from Jesus because of it, we're firing the head coach because one of us fumbled the ball. I'll be honest with you. I have and will fumble the football as your pastor. It's going to happen. I'll own up to that. And I'll own up to the fact that a lot of people throughout history, not just American history, but outside of American history, have claimed the name of Jesus and have done a lot of wrong things. But we shouldn't walk away from Jesus simply because imperfect humans have messed up. We should look at Jesus, and, and unless you can disprove Jesus, don't walk away from Jesus. There's two things I want to leave us with, especially as um, those of us in the room who are Christ followers, as to how we combat this idea. Understanding this question is out there. What if we're better off without religion? How do we show people that what we have is worth following? The first thing is this. Be an ally to those in need. Be an ally to those in need. Be an ally to those who are oppressed. Be an ally to those who have needs that need met. Be an ally to those who are different than you. Whatever, you know, there's times where we, we almost self-prescribe enemies of ourselves. What does Jesus say to do to your enemies? Love them. If you got to love your enemy, everything else in between happens too. So we need to be an ally when we see somebody in need, even if they would be someone who is very, very different or believes something very, very different than us. Here's the second thing. Don't be an imperfect person who demands perfection. Here's what I know. If Jesus waited for any one of us to be perfect before he died for us, we're all done. It's never going to happen. And yet, he showed up and he died even before we were willing to follow him. That means that we need to love people before they're willing to follow Jesus or before they're willing to agree with us or before they're willing to whatever that might be. Love is always that first step because that's what Jesus' first step was to us. And when the world sees that we're not ready to love people first, they call us out on it. They say, if you're not willing to be like Jesus, the Jesus that we read about in Scripture, maybe you're not worth having around. So the challenge is, for us, as Grace Family Church, to be the kind of church that our community of New Holland looks at and says, we see why you're here. We see it as worth it for you to be here. It's for us to, in our workplace or in our classroom or on our team, to be the type of person that others look at who don't know Jesus and they say, you're worth being with. You're worth hanging out with. You're worth getting to know because I see the type of person you are. 
And when we're characterized, when our religion is characterized by love, and I don't mean that we would compromise what we believe. That's not what I'm saying. We would hold true to Scripture 100%. But when we're willing to love first and allow Jesus to do the work in someone else's life, I think that's when they'll look at Christianity specifically and say, you're worth having around. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful that we get to challenge ourselves with some of these questions. And it's great to even have passages like Luke 11 where we can see how you feel about religion that is oppressive and hypocritical. We ask that that would never be the case for us. That we would be the kind of people, be the kind of church that people drive past and they go, yep, I get why they're there. They care for people. They love people. They take care of those in need. And I ask that that would be be our heart and that people that don't know you when they interact with us, even as individuals, they would see you in us in the way that we care for them. That when this question is asked, are we better off without religion? The answer for someone who knows us would be an unequivocal no because of the good that we do in others' lives. And I pray that we would be motivated to take you to them, to introduce you to them, not just because of the understanding of what it could do on their, on their life here on earth, but it, what it could do for their eternal life. We are grateful that that's the mission that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.